All right, if you stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to be reading out of Matthew 7, continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 13 through 14. Uh, if you have a pew Bible, you can find it on nine, page 965. Uh, today, uh, the title of the lesson is The Need for a Decision. So follow along with me as I read. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, and we lift you up in your Son for his sacrifice for us, God. We thank you, as you being our perfect Father, have given us an opportunity of reconciliation. And I pray that you would open our hearts as we challenge ourselves to follow the narrow path, God. Thank you for this in your name. Amen. It doesn't take long to figure out that life is filled with decisions. In fact, every one of us here this morning make countless decisions a day. What to wear, what to eat, where to go, what to do, what to say, what to buy, who to text, what to post, and on and on the list of decisions go that we make each day. Sometimes those decisions we make, uh, we make without even thinking about them. Other times we agonize over the decisions that are before us. Some decisions have tremendous consequences to them, whether for good or for bad. Some decisions are difficult because it means killing the alternative. That is, when you choose to say yes to one thing, we are at the same time choosing to say no to many other things. Many decisions we make are are trivial and insignificant, but some decisions in our lives, listen, they are essential and even life-changing. The most critical of all is our decision about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. That is the ultimate choice that determines our eternal destiny. In fact, this decision is one that affects us not just for today, but for all eternity. And Jesus tells us here in these verses that there's no escaping this decision. If you don't decide, that is actually a passive decision with eternal consequences. The bottom line here that we find in the words of Jesus Christ here in the Sermon on the Mount is that everyone is confronted with this one decision. What will we do with Jesus and his kingdom? This is the inescapable choice that Jesus concludes with here on the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, notice this coming up on your screen. I invite you to pull out that insert in your bulletin and follow along and take notes. Uh, Jesus is calling for a decision. He's calling for a decision to all that he has taught now in the Sermon on the Mount by concluding with several paired contrasts or alternatives in which uh, for us to choose. We're going to see today the two roads. Next Sunday, we'll see the two trees. The Sunday after that, two claims or, or two confessions of Christ. And, and then we will come conclude this whole series with the two houses 
that are built on two different foundations. And so what we see here in the context of the Sermon on the Mount with this conclusion is Jesus has just finished teaching the body of the sermon. And beginning here in verse 13 to the end of the chapter here in chapter 7, he's now calling for a decision to everything that he has said. After all, nothing, nothing would be more tragic than to hear about life in the kingdom of heaven Sunday after Sunday and then walk away without having entered the kingdom of heaven. For a person either enters the kingdom or he does not. He either walks the road that leads to eternal life or he walks the road that leads to eternal destruction. And Jesus is crystal clear here. He's telling us there is no third choice. There's no third alternative. And so nothing, nothing at all could have more crucial significance than deciding to follow Jesus to trust Him for your salvation, and to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, what we see now in these particular verses here, of verses 13 through 27 of Matthew chapter 7, is that Jesus sets before us a series of choices that require us to make important decisions that will not only impact your life for today, but they will impact your life for all eternity. Here in verses 13 and 14, will you choose the narrow gate and the difficult road that leads to eternal life? Or will it be the wide gate and the broad road that leads to destruction? In verses 15 through 20, will you choose the good tree with good fruit or the bad tree with bad fruit? In verses 21 through 23, will you choose a genuine confession marked by a life of obedience or a false profession marked by a life of disobedience. And then in verses 24 through 27, will you be a wise man, Jesus poses to us, and choose to build your life on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ, or will you be a, a fool and build your life on the sand that will ultimately lead to your destruction? Now, what's interesting is that each of these series of choices is really centered on one thing. And that is Jesus Christ. What will you do with Jesus and his kingdom? That, again, is the inescapable choice we are now confronted with here in the Sermon on the Mount. We have reached the climax of Jesus' sermon. And his teachings demand a response. Trying to remain neutral is not an option. Sitting on the fence will not work. Jesus refuses to let us simply just bask in the grandeur of his teaching. Why? Because he knows that our admiration without action is deadly. And so Jesus says to us, just as he did 2,000 years ago on the side of that hill to a group, a crowd He says to us through the recorded scriptures here in Matthew, verses 13 and 14, and he begs and he pleads and he exhorts us and he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are are few. Now, before we move on, we probably ought to stop here for a minute. And we probably need to acknowledge that the prevailing view of our culture is that all roads lead to heaven. Or that all roads lead to the kingdom of heaven, to use the phrase that Jesus uses here in the Sermon on the Mount. Just as there are many ways to climb a mountain, each religion offers its own way to God, and none is better than the other. To say that one way is right and all the other ways are wrong is narrow-minded, it's it's bigoted, it's even prejudicial. And this is certainly the pervasive view of our culture today. A recent Pew study revealed that up to 70% of Americans believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. Author Peter Kreft says, if all roads lead to the same place, it makes no ultimate difference which road we take. In other words, our our spiritual beliefs end up being no more significant than ice cream flavors. They become strictly a matter of personal preference. Whatever you like, whatever suits you best. So what does all this mean? Well, Stephen Prothero, a religion professor at Boston University, points to American pragmatism when he writes... It isn't about orthodoxy. That is, it isn't about truth. It's about whatever works. If going to yoga works, great. If going to Catholic mass works, great. If going to mass plus yoga plus the Buddhist retreat works, that's great too. Now, this approach, he says, to religion may work, quote, in making people feel better about themselves. But the question is, does it work in leading you to the kingdom of heaven? In other words, do all roads lead to heaven? Or is there only one way? In these two verses, again, Jesus sets before us an either-or choice regarding the kingdom of heaven. In these two verses, we find that there are only two gates, there are only two roads, and there are only two destinies. And the one that you choose has massive consequences, not only for this life, but for all eternity. So let's break it down. Let's look at these two verses here for the next few minutes. Number one, we find there are only two roads in life. Now, for those of us, that's all of us here, we who live in the USA, we love the freedom of choice. In fact, we are accustomed to having a smorgasbord of options of just about anything in life. Take toothpaste, for example. You can choose from extra whitening, tartar control, complete care, baking soda, gel, paste, gel and paste combined, different sizes of tubes, and that's just crust. Not to mention AIM, Aquafresh, and Colgate. How about shampoo? Ever walk down the shampoo aisle at Target or Walmart? Talk about options. We have botanical this, herbal that, citrus enhanced, salon quality, extra body, maximum shine, increased volume, dandruff control, and the list goes on and on. And if you're buying a car or a cell phone, listen, you have hundreds of options to choose from. And we like all that. I mean, who doesn't love the freedom of choice? We all do. The problem is 
we naturally sometimes assume that all these choices should just carry over into the areas of religious beliefs. So we can sort of, we just expect the answer to the question, do all roads lead to heaven, to be like everything else in our culture. But Jesus says that when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, there are only two possible options. There are only two roads from which to choose from. First of all, he says, there is the broad road. Sometimes in your translations, it's referred to as the path or the way. It means the same thing. There's the broad road, and Jesus says that road is easy now. This word broad means spacious, and the idea is that the broad road, it is wide open. In other words, there is plenty of room for everything on the broad road, whatever you want to believe, whatever you want to bring along with you. Whatever you want to do on that road, however you want to live, is okay with all the travelers on that road. This avenue, or this road, it is user-friendly. It imposes no boundaries on what one thinks. It requires no commitment from you, no effort from you. You just hit cruise control, and you enjoy the wide, easy road. Listen to how one Bible commentator describes it. He says the broad road is the easy, attractive, inclusive, indulgent, permissive, and self-oriented way of the world. There are few rules, few restrictions, few requirements. All you need to do is profess Jesus or at least be religious. Sin is tolerated, truth is moderated, and humility is ignored. God's word is praised but not studied, and his standards are admired but not followed. This way requires no spiritual maturity, no moral character, no commitment, and no sacrifice. Now, I must admit, I like wide roads, especially on a highway. In fact, I like those three-lane highway roads. Because if the guy in front of me is driving too slow, I can get in the next lane or even the one over that, and I can speed right by him. I can drive the way I want to drive. Nobody's blocking me. And I think for similar reasons, we're attracted to the idea of a wide open road to the kingdom of heaven. It gives us room to travel through life the way we want to travel. It gives us room to believe what we want to believe. It gives us room to live our lives the way we want to live. But Jesus says, if you choose this road, you are choosing a road that leads you away from God. And Jesus says, many people are traveling down this particular road. But he contrasts that road with another road. There is the narrow road. And Jesus says this road is hard. While the broad road is wide open and easy, this road is narrow and hard. Its boundaries are clearly marked by God's word. The narrow road is guided by what is true according to God, not according to us. And it is good and right according to God. This word narrow, it was actually used of a great press. And it has the idea of being compressed, being squeezed or crushed, which means the narrow road is exactly the opposite of the broad road. 
when traveling the narrow road, you must be willing to get rid of your baggage. You must be willing to lay aside your rights. You must be willing to repent of your sins and must be willing to live in a way that doesn't necessarily please you, but ultimately pleases our God. My problem, and I'm guessing your problem too, is that I naturally like the path of least resistance. I look for the, quote, easy button in life. And sometimes forget that discomfort, even difficulty, is part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so while the broad road is easy and the narrow road is difficult, which is why Jesus says only a few people are willing to travel this road. So let me ask you, which road are you traveling on this morning? The broad road or the narrow road? And as you think about your answer, here's another question to consider. Why then would anyone choose the narrow road over the more spacious and popular broad road? Well, Jesus answers that question for us. He points out the destination that each of these roads lead us to. Notice the point. There are only two destinations in eternity. Now, think through this a little bit with me. You choose a specific road based upon what? The destination in which you want to go. And so if you wish to travel to Denver, Colorado, so that you can see the beautiful, gorgeous Rocky Mountains, and then going west on I-70, let me tell you, that makes perfect sense. I-35, going north, listen, you may think that's a nicer route. It's not as boring as traveling across I-70, across Kansas. I'd rather go I-35 north. It's nicer. There's more scenery, but it leads you to where? It leads you to Des Moines, not Denver. And no matter how much you hope to make it to Denver to see the Rocky Mountains, if you keep traveling on I-35 north, you're never, never, never going to end up in Denver, Colorado. Why? Common sense dictates that we choose the road that leads to our desired destination. But when it comes to eternal destinations, Jesus is warning us here. And he's warning us that most people give more thought about the comfort of the road than the actual destination of where it is leading them. So where do these two roads lead us to? Jesus uses two specific words to describe the destination that each of these two roads lead us to. He uses this word destruction, and then he uses another word, life. And so what we see now from the very words of Jesus himself is that the broad, easy road, the most popular road, it leads to eternal destruction in the words of Jesus. Now, make no mistake about it. The broad road leads to eternal destruction in a place that the Bible refers to as hell. And every person who travels down this road will eventually find themselves in this destination. Coming up on the screen behind me, you'll see pictures of it. There is actually a road on a mountain in Bolivia called the most dangerous road in the world. And on top of that mountain is a biking company called 
the gravity-assisted mountain biking. You can actually Google it and find it. That takes the thrill-seekers to the top of the mountain, and it gives them bikes then to ride down. Many bikers have actually died attempting to ride down this mountain. In fact, one woman who had been complaining of her brakes all morning was trying to catch up with her group having fallen behind. Her group watched her ride off the road and down an 800-foot cliff to her death. That's why it's called the death road. Jesus is warning us here. He's warning us that the broad road is the most dangerous road in the world, and yet many people think they are on the right road. But Proverbs 16.25 reminds us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Jesus says that those who are traveling on the broad road, to use the title of a song by ACDC, are on the highway to hell. Now, please don't misunderstand the word that Jesus is using here. Don't misunderstand this word destruction to mean that one will cease to exist. Scripture is very clear that hell is not annihilation. Rather, hell is the eternal conscious torment. And so the destruction that Jesus is referring to here is not the destruction of your body and soul. It is rather the destruction of hope, which means you can think of hell as eternal suffering without hope. And specifically with the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of salvation. So if the broad road now leads to destruction, then where does the narrow road lead? Well, Jesus tells us, he says that the narrow, hard road leads to eternal life. It's true, only a few people will choose to travel the narrow road. But Jesus says those who travel on this narrow road will find eternal life. Jesus reminds us in John 10.10, this is the reason why he came, why he was born. When he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So, you see the alternative, you see the contrast that Jesus poses for us, presents to us. If hell is a place of pain, suffering, and separation from God for all eternity, then heaven is a place of joy, peace, and unspeakable beauty for all eternity in the presence of God himself. One second after we take our last breath here on earth, we will see, we will know that heaven and hell are real. Our eternal destiny, whether it be eternal life or eternal destruction, will stretch out before us and we will have to live forever with the choice we made in this life. In other words, there's no chance for a redo. And if that doesn't sound fair to you, if that sounds even offensive to you, that's exactly the point of Jesus' warning here. Listen, he's not trying to spare your feelings. He's trying to spare your life. He's calling for us to make a decision regarding him and his kingdom. This brings us to the all-important question that we alluded to at the beginning. Do all roads lead to heaven? After all, that is the prevailing view of our culture, even the cultures around the world. 
And the answer is, according to Jesus, no. There's only one road that leads to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have heard someone say that Christianity, man, I just can't buy it. It's just too narrow-minded. Christianity is too narrow-minded. Now, most of us run from this term, narrow-mindedness. After all, nobody wants to be labeled as narrow-minded. But we must come to the terms, to terms with the fact that the road to heaven is narrow, and it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then Jesus declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so this means here from the very words of Jesus that there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through himself, the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You go over to the book of Acts, and there Peter is preaching about Jesus when he declares in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. In other words, there are no other roads that you can take. There are no other names that you can trust. The narrow road that leads to life is found in no other than Jesus Christ himself. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, he declares as he writes to Timothy, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Why? Because he was the only one who was perfect and sinless and then died on the cross in our place for our sins and then resurrected to prove it. Now, these are certainly, out of these verses, some pretty narrow statements about Jesus. And yet, I would throw out to you that all truth is narrow. Listen, 2 plus 2 equals 4, not 17. Jefferson City is the capital of Missouri, not Springfield, Missouri. George Washington was the first president, not Teddy Roosevelt. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, not in 1923, even if you can make a rhyme like me. A pentagon has five sides. A trio has three singers. 60 seconds equals exactly one minute. And so all Truth is narrow. If something is true, then that means many other things cannot be true. And if everything is true, then nothing is true. The Barna Research Group has discovered, though, the culture in which we live, that nearly 75% of people do not believe now in absolute truth. This means truth is one of the scarcest commodities in the world. So how does Jesus' answer here in the Sermon on the Mount mesh in a culture in which we live that disregards, even detests, truth? Well, there's no doubt narrowness has fallen on hard times. The broad, popular road 
champions freedom to believe anything you want, to do anything you want, and detest anyone who claims to know the truth. However, Jesus challenges us. In fact, he challenges this very broad, popular mentality. And although it does appeal in many ways, it has one major liability before us, and that is its outcome. It does not lead to eternal life. Listen, Jesus is very inclusive in the sense that everyone is invited to come to him. He states this in chapter 6, verse 37 of the book of John, the gospel of John, when he says, this is the words of Jesus, whoever, whoever, that is an invitation that goes out to everyone and anyone, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Listen again to what Peter Crift writes. He says, It is sheer imperialism to insist that only one man-made road up the divine mountain is the right road and all others are wrong. But Christ does not claim to be a man who became a way to God. Christianity claims to be the road God made to man, not the road that we made to God. Now, I would agree... Christianity would be narrow-minded if there really were many, many roads to heaven. And Christianity, at the same time, was saying that its path was simply the, the best path, the best way, the best road. But it's not saying that. What Christianity is saying is, here's the truth. Someone has to pay the penalty for our sins that keeps us separated from God. And Jesus is the only one qualified to be our substitute with his death on the cross and resurrection. So then, is it narrow-minded to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? No. It's only narrow-minded if Jesus is wrong. But if Jesus is right... It's truth, and therefore it's not narrow-minded to act upon this truth. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. Let's say that you or someone you know has just had a beautiful baby girl, but she develops jaundice shortly after her birth. Jaundice is a liver disorder that causes her skin and the whites of her eyes to turn yellow. Now, the pediatrician tells you that this is a potentially devastating disease, but he also tells you that it's easily treated. All you have to do is put the baby under the special light for a while, and this light will actually stimulate her liver properly, and she will be all right. Now, you as the parents, you have the option. You can say to the doctor, well, that sounds too easy. How about instead if we just scrub her real good with soap and we dip her in bleach? If we work hard enough, I'm sure we can get her normal coloring back. But the doctor says to you, no, there's only one way to handle this. And yes, you can reply back to the doctor. Well, how about if we just sort of ignore this and just pretend everything is okay? 
You know, the jaundice is your truth, doctor. It's not our truth. And if we sincerely believe that things will work out for the best, that's what we choose to believe. And the doctor will say, you're crazy. You're going to jeopardize the life of your baby if you do that. Look, there's only one way to cure her. And if you're hesitant because it sounds too easy, just look at the credentials hanging on my wall. I've studied at medical school. I've used what I've learned to cure countless babies like yours. Trust me. Let me ask you. Would anybody accuse you of being narrow-minded if you trusted your doctor and pursued the only course of treatment that was going to cure your baby girl? Of course not. Why? Because that's acting rationally in accordance with the truth. Well, here's another truth for us. We all, every one of us here this morning, we have a terminal illness called sin. And the reason we cling to Jesus is because he is the great physician who has the only cure for our sin. We can try to scrub it away with good deeds, but it won't work. We can ignore our sin and hope it just goes away, but it won't work. We can even sincerely think there's another way of dealing with our sin, but we would be sincerely wrong. Only Jesus offers a treatment that will erase our stain of sin. So when we turn to Jesus for our salvation, we are not being narrow-minded. We are acting rationally now in accordance with the truth of God's word. So again, I go back to the question, do all roads lead to heaven? And the answer, according to Jesus, is no. Jesus tells us there's only two possible roads in life. There is the broad road and the narrow road that lead to only two possible destinations in eternity, destruction or life. Which means, number three, look at this, there are only two gates to enter. Coming up on the screen behind me is another picture. How many of you have seen or you've heard about the Baha'i Temple near Chicago. It's a beautiful building, as you can see on the, in the picture, with nine doors leading into the main worship center. What's interesting about these nine doors is they actually represent the nine major religions of the world, and they symbolize that you can get to heaven using any of those religions. Just enter into any one of those doors. They claim all religions lead to the same place. So it doesn't matter which door you enter into. But again, what does Jesus tell us here? He says, enter through the narrow gate. And so immediately we see that there's a decision that we must make here. We must choose which gate we're going to enter and which road we are going to travel. Jesus is exhorting us to enter the narrow gate and to travel the narrow road. Why? Because it's the only one, Jesus says, that leads us to eternal life. He acknowledges. He lays it out before us. And Jesus says that there is the the wide gate 
just as there is a wide road. There is a wide gate which many people choose to enter, and this wide gate leads to a wide road. This gate is wide because it's very popular, it's very easy to enter, and you can bring along anything you please. You don't have to leave anything behind. It's a gate that accommodates every belief, every philosophy, every lifestyle. As long as one's thinking does not include value judgments, you are welcome to enter this gate. But Jesus contrasts that with the narrow gate. There is a narrow gate which few people choose to enter. This gate is narrow because it not only takes, listen to me, eyes that are spiritually open to find it, but it takes a heart that is spiritually humble to enter it. In other words, we have to be willing to leave everything behind and surrender our lives to Christ. This is indeed a small gate. And few people are willing to shed what is necessary to get through it. Singer-songwriter Billy Joel put it like this. In one of his songs, he says, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Why is the gate narrow and few people choose to enter it? It's because most people don't want to leave their sin at the door. They would rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Jesus says that there are only two gates to enter. So which gate will it be? Will you enter the narrow gate that leads you to eternal life? Or will you enter the wide gate that leads you to eternal destruction? And and here's something to think about. If people were to put a sign over the narrow gate, do you know what it would say? The way to heaven. And if people were to put a sign over the wide gate, do you know what it would say? The way to heaven. Many people who are traveling on the wide road sincerely believe it will lead them to heaven. This wide road is paved with good intentions. But Jesus says they're mistaken. It's a road that leads to destruction. And if we do nothing and we simply follow the crowd through the wide gate, Jesus says that that too is our ultimate destination, destruction. So as we come to the end of these two short verses... What is Jesus saying to us? How can we summarize it? And I believe we can summarize it like this. Notice this in your notes. The road you take determines your fate. So enter the narrow gate before it's too late. I actually like how the New Living Translation paraphrases Jesus' words here in verses 13 through 14. Look at it, what it says. Jesus says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and his gate is wide. For the many who choose the easy way. But the gateway to life is small and the road is narrow and only a few ever find it. Friend, listen. Life is short. Hell is real. And eternity is long. And so I plead with you, as Jesus does here, to make your choice 
before it's too late. Several years ago, in fact, many years ago, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, some of you may recognize those names, most of you probably don't, wrote a song called Stairway to Heaven. It was recorded by Led Zeppelin and became one of the most popular songs of the 1970s. Part of the lyrics in the song goes like this. There's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold, and she's buying a stairway to heaven. Yes, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. Well, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant were wrong on one count, but they were definitely correct on another count. No, you cannot buy a stairway to heaven. But the good news is there is still time to change the road that you're on. There's still time to enter the narrow gate of salvation through none other than Jesus Christ. But that time in which to enter the narrow gate is coming to an end. There will be a time, and that time is coming soon, when the gate will be shut. And at that point, there will not be another chance. Once the gate is shut, it's shut. There will be no bargaining with God. There will be no deal-making with God. Once we die, there is no more choice. We are left with the consequences of our choice for all eternity. James Boyce writes, and he says, and he does a fabulous job summarizing all this when he says, if you are an unbeliever who has been exposed to the gospel like you have just now, You must not stop short of salvation by imagining that you can simply continue along the same road you are following. If you are not on the road to Christ, you are on the road away from him. Thus, you will either come finally to a perfect salvation by the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ... Or you will come, he says, to the lake of fire without him. That is the heart of Christ's warning here in these verses. Today is Father's Day. We know that. Dads, especially to you. Man, I plead with you to make a choice. For your own sake, for the sake of your family. And to choose to enter the narrow gate. And I can tell you that God's gate of grace is still wide open. But one day, that gate will shut. The gate could close for you today. Listen, you could leave here this afternoon, and you could die in a car accident, you could die in your sleep, and that would close the gate. Or Jesus could even return today, and that would close the gate as well. So if you haven't already, whether you're a dad, whether you're a mom, whether you're a single dad, single mother, whether you're female, male, whether you are 17 or 77 or somewhere in between, listen, I plead with you to enter the narrow gate of salvation before it is too late. In fact, this word enter that Jesus uses, it's a strong word. 
It's an imperative, which means that Jesus is calling for a decisive and immediate action or decision on our part. In other words, you must make a decision to trust in Jesus for your salvation before it's too late. That's the inescapable choice we are confronted with by the words of Jesus Christ here in the Sermon on the Mount. With your heads bowed, and before we pray, let me ask you another question in the just as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. In fact, this question is there in your notes. It's at the bottom of your notes. That if God were to ask, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would your answer be to that? Listen, the only correct answer is that you have entered the narrow gate of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in your place for the payment of your sins. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be your righteousness. And the good news is that you can receive it by faith in Christ. This is the only way that you can ever gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And if God is, if he's tugging on your heart, if the spirit of God is talking to you and pleading with you, and you are ready, you're like, man, I want to enter that narrow gate. I haven't yet, and I know I need salvation in Jesus Christ. And here's even a prayer that you can pray as a guide to simply express the desire of your heart. It's right there in your notes as well. The instrumentalists are going to play here. They're going to play a chorus, and let me encourage you to cry out to God for salvation. Express to him your heart's desire to trust Jesus, to enter the narrow gate, to begin living the life of discipleship on the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Heavenly Father, the words of Jesus here are solemn and sobering. But lying under these words is the eternal joy for those who embrace Jesus as their Savior and King. And we ask, O oh God, that by your Spirit, you would draw men and women to yourself in saving faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The instrumentalists are going to play through a chorus, and as they do, will you respond?